0: Welcome to Upskill Journeys, the podcast that helps demand generation professionals decide how to effectively enhance their knowledge and skill set to advance their careers. This is your host, Grant Bentley, Strategic Account Director for Inside Up. Today, I'm pleased to be speaking with Carrie-Lou Dietrich, an independent advisor for CMOs and CEOs of hypergrowth companies. And Carrie-Lou, it's nice to have you on the program.
1: Thanks. Happy to be here.
0: Carrie Lou, uh, your career journey is certainly one that uh, has gone through high tech and a lot of interesting uh, different positions. Can you just give our audience a, an idea and a summary of, of how you started in, in your career and, and where it's led you to?
1: Sure. So I'm a former CMO, most notably the head of marketing that took Atlassian public. Uh, I decided I wanted to be a CMO sometime in my 20s. And cross-trained in all the different functions of demand gen and product marketing and comms and brand on the journey. Uh, prior to prior to my interest in marketing, I actually was a sales rep, an enterprise sales rep for internet in the early 2000s, and uh, it informed a lot of my perspective on how sales and marketing should work together. So I've worked for small companies under. 300 employees, under 2000 employees. I ran brand advertising for Oracle when we were, I don't know, maybe 80,000 to 100,000 employees. And now I advise uh, startup founders and CMOs between 30 million and 500 million in revenue on how to capture hyper growth and keep building on great products.
0: Well, certainly it's uh, product led growth. You hear a lot of that these days, uh, but you still need uh, conventional demand generation and, and you need some account based marketing sometimes. So, the, the function of demand generation really matters in these sort of uh, areas, whether or not you're a small startup all the way to a, a large uh, household brand. So, uh, what sort of areas have you found to be helpful? in the demand generation function, since it's one of the areas that uh, certainly will improve the effectiveness of a marketing organization.
1: So, demand generation is essential to any company's success, to, to bring in enough revenue to pay all the employees and keep investing in the products. I think it's tricky because each company has a slightly different go to market motion. As you mentioned, some use product led growth. Some use account based marketing. Some use a combination. Some, you know, have sell to enterprises. Some sell to SMBs. Some audiences like HR, um, prefer more hand holding where audiences like developers like more self service of all the content and, and even trials where they can set up the software and start using it themselves before they buy. So for a demand generation person to be successful, there's two or three things that they really need to be masters of. Um, and one is the demand generation levers that work for their audience. The second is their audience's preference and the, the message and, and product area. You know, if you're in cybersecurity, it's much different than selling uh, photo books. <laughs> or developer tools you know each of them you you really understanding the audience in the market to understand like do these people hang out in online communities do these people hang out in person at conferences um you know the demand generation that works will be different for different audiences different products and different messages so to upskill yourself as a demand generation person you need to really understand the vehicles that you have available the audience and the market that you're in. And then third, um, the metrics and tech stack, because demand generation of all the functions is much more reliant on the marketing operations, proper data tracking, data visualization, data analysis. And so, you know, when I was young, it was becoming an Excel whiz and learning to do pivot tables. You know, it's it's only grown exponentially since then, but um, really strong data analytics skills are the third category.
0: Yeah. You touched on several areas that are really important to get right. Let's start with communication channels. How, how did you learn how communication channels worked?
1: So I think there's three ways to, to learn um, in, as a business person. One way is to read, it, to just read websites and blogs and listen to YouTube channels and listen to podcasts right. and hear it. The second is to take really structured courses and get some sort of certification and kind of go deep in an area. And the third is to have the experience yourself. You know, you learn a ton by doing. And, and real masters have probably done all three. So I think in the demand generation space, there's both, um, you know, how do all the channels work and how do you optimize one channel to be the best it could possibly be? There's so much to learn. You know, 20 years in, I'm still learning every week and month. And that's one of the things I love about the job.
0: So I think uh, one of the advice we could have is stay curious. You know, mm, if there's absolutely. a new channel that you're hearing that uh, your target market is starting to be active in, learn how that particular channel is developed, uh, who are the movers and shakers in that particular communication channel, and how you can participate in it. That's- and the
1: other word I would add is voracious. Mm. I mean, you know, some of the people I admire most, one of them is uh, Denise Pearson from Snowflake, uh, and I was listening to a podcast of hers in the last couple of weeks, and she said um, for 20 years of her career, and probably still, she had the latest marketing book on her bedside table. She says she read every marketing book. She was just voracious. So I, I think learning, you know, being on this constant learning journal, remember, and I still have it here on my bookshelf, I have a SEO book that's about 600 pages that took me a long time on my bedside table just to make sure I knew as much as possible about this channel to optimize what was working best for my company at the time
0: so hit the library essentially
1: it's reading it's um certifications or or lessons and it's experience it's all three of them kind of in a, a constant yeah. dance
0: tell me um you, um, When you consider the type of folks that are going to be joining a marketing organization and be part of your demand generation investment, the question becomes, well, what are their advanced degrees? And the one that you typically hear about is a gold standard, an MBA course, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. What are the ways in which uh, someone can find an alternative to a degreed uh, MBA graduate program that still puts them in a position where they can be considered a strategic voice and understand how the business executives think about the marketing function.
1: There's like seven questions in that one question, but we'll take them one at a time. I think the first question is, what helps you get the best job? And is the certification what helps you get the best job? Mm -hmm. I would assert that doing work like or on the forward path of the journey of of the company you're joining for a great brand name helps you the most. You know, like in our generation, if, if you were early Apple... Facebook, uh, Google on the consumer side, or, you know, today, if you were Snowflake or CrowdStrike or any number of, you know, great companies or OpenAI, you know, if you were at OpenAI, the quality of the company you join and your contribution on their success journey is often the best way to get hired at your next company. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think now this is biased because I don't have an MBA and have, have gone with experience over some education. Now, mm-hmm. I have some regret about about um, an MBA and I considered an MBA twice in my career uh, and decided against it for some reasons I can go into. But There's two advantages to expensive MBAs. One is the things you learn, and the second is the network you build. So we know this is true that you know VCs coming out of Stanford have a tighter group of other Stanford VCs than people who did an online training with an MBA at University of Phoenix. You have access to people who are at companies who give you access to opportunities. So I think those are both options. The challenge is it can be really expensive, and depending on what program you choose, you can be out of your job market of experience um, for up to two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had looked at the online or what night and weekend MBAs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, I was working for a startup and already working 60 hours a week. <laughs> was and that in the Bay Area?
0: Uh, it was Karla? in the
1: Bay Area. Yeah, I was looking at the Berkeley Wharton
0: yeah.
1: weekend one. And I was already a young married woman. And I thought, you know, I can be great at my startup. I can be married and I can get an MBA. Pick two. (laughs) And so at the time I decided against that one. And then uh, a couple of years later, I had applied to business schools and I had to choose between business school or this awareness advertising job at Oracle, which turned out to be one of my favorite jobs of my whole career. Um, And at the time I had decided that I was already in tech, I was already in marketing. I wanted to get better at marketing and have more opportunity, but I might have more opportunity from having better experience than having an MBA um, at that time. You know, I think that the the con like the pros and cons are that for a lot of people who are looking to change, if you're looking to change your industry or your role, if you're in engineering and you go back to get an MBA and go into marketing, it can be a real step up. You know, if you're in sales and you go back to MBA school and you go into finance, it can be a real big step up and pivot. If you're already on a trajectory and you're just looking to add to it, Mm -hmm. um, an MBA may or may not be worth it.
0: Interesting. And uh, how much uh, information does... Uh, a demand generation professional need to know about the inner workings of some of these um, large suites and some of the, the key visualization and data programs you're talking about? Is it really the level of of having an account, being a user, or do they need a, a product certification in order to show that they, they can use these tools effectively in their strategy?
1: So there's two reasons to, to seek learning. One is to actually get the learning, and one is to have people think and know that you have the learning. Um, and both have value for different reasons. So the first order of priority is to take whatever trainings you need to be exceptional at your job. Like if you're a Salesforce shop, learn all about Salesforce so you know. I mean, there's so many problems in data as demand generation people know where sales adds a field and marketing is looking at a different field, or you want to do some data reports and you have to rely on an analyst who will never prioritize right. you. And if you could do your own dashboards, you could really be exceptional. So I think the first priority is to learn the tools that you have in place to be exceptional. Mm-hmm. The second priority is to be looking out at the landscape to understand what's coming next and how you might be able to bring that into your company to, to propel your company forward in your either in your category area, or in your general group area. So you know, I mean, right now AI is hot. If you attended a whole bunch of AI, how marketing can use AI better webinars, and your CMO and the team members don't really have time to, and you do a lunch and learn, and you recommend some tools for your team to use, you're an overachiever who will be, you know, promoted and supported at this job or have opportunities in your next job.
0: So what do you look for in demand generation professionals? And is there something that would uh, help them, uh, as you say, look the best they can? Maybe it's a, a track record of being that overachiever such that it's, you know, that they do their current job well, but they're also able to be curious and and a voracious reader and and bring, as you say, some of these new topics to the awareness of their colleagues.
1: Absolutely. I I think, you know, someone can have a dozen certifications and not show up well in an interview because they haven't really worked on those projects. They haven't really had results. You know, sometimes it's bad luck. Like the last two companies they've worked for have sucked. So they're doing everything right, but there's no results. You know, in demand generation world, it's results. I came in and I doubled the pipeline and doubled the conversion and sales was happy and they employed me for more than four years and I got promotions every couple of years. I mean, that looks like a track record of success. A certification also helps you add and prove experience outside of what you're doing in your work. So if you are in demand gen and you're a marketing ops person and you're like, man, this is boring. I really want to move into content. You know, getting a HubSpot certification over the years might have helped you make that transition. Like, I don't do it in my day-to-day life, but I'm certified in these things. I know these things. You know, beyond that, getting the certification in something that you aren't doing in your day-to-day job on the side helps you prove to your own leadership team, if there's a opening in that role, that they could make a bet on
0: you. In that way, it reminds me of that book, Dress for Success. You know, you're dressing for the job you want to uh, move into as opposed to the one you're in now. What about this, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of leave you with this, this idea of soft skills. You know, this is something that a lot of people are saying, well, you just learn how to work with people by, by working with people, and you don't really learn that out of a book. But uh, a lot of times we've seen now uh, soft skills training is available either through LinkedIn and other sort of sources. Um, what is your take on, on the importance of actually being intentional about soft skills training?
1: Well, the ironic part of all soft skills training that I've done is that it's as helpful as a manager and leader as it is as a wife, child, daughter, friend. (laughs) So, you know, all of the, uh, one of my favorite books uh, two years ago was Never Split the Difference. It's a book about negotiation from a hostage negotiator. And it's meant for business people, how to negotiate a better salary, how to negotiate. A deal for an acquisition, how to negotiate all these things. And, and I was like, wow, this could really help me with like parent my children better, you know, conflict resolution skills over the years. Most of the soft skills training I did was part of team building offsites. So, you know, I think we might talk in the next question. How do you fund your interests? So uh, we'll leave it for that. But I've done a number of soft skill trainings as part of group gatherings, right? Your personality type and how to flex and read others, how to have difficult conversations, diversity and inclusion ideas and unconscious bias, all sorts of soft skills things are good for team building. But you know, I mean, they I think that they're incredibly important for leadership and for living a better life. So mm-hmm. I'm still I thought by, you know, this age, I would have figured it out. But I'm still learning constantly. I'm reading actually yeah. a book right now about um, DBT, which is a psychology concept, which I think back on some of my management tr- troubles and think, oh, if I'd known some of these things, I feel like I would have been a more patient and encouraging manager.
0: You know, it's interesting you mentioned those things about offsites and post-COVID. It's almost like in-person opportunities for learning are few and far between. Not because people don't think it's still valuable to meet in person, but just because the opportunities are are less rampant than they used to be. You could go to a conference, but then that means traveling and this sort of thing. How much online soft skills training can you do in Zoom boxes? You know, what's mm-hmm. your feeling about that?
1: I think Soft skills training is hard to learn because it's just hard to be reflective about your own strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Realistically, you know, some of the better soft skills training, I think it's come from hard feedback that people give you. And then you, yeah. you know, you lean into that. For me, it's, you know, can you be a better listener and less distracted if there's too many things happening at once? So I don't know. I, I think I'm seeing more offsites come back as people are working on their hybrid environments. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think that'll come back. And, and even conferences, maybe coming back to the um. how do you budget for training? Over the course of my career, a number of the companies I worked for had an education budget per person. It was like 1500 bucks to $2,000, something like that. And I thought of that as part of my salary that Mm -hmm. if I used, benefited me and the company. And if I didn't use was $2,000, I was throwing away. Mm -hmm. And anyone knows who knows me knows how thrifty I am. Like Mm -hmm. I will turn back for a dime. Mm -hmm. So I used every one of my $2,000 or about $1,500. And, you know, early in my career, I went to a PR conference. I went to all sorts of marketing Sherpa things. I bought white papers. I did Mm -hmm. online certifications and trainings. So figuring out if you can get your company to pay for it directly, or the other idea is almost every leader is looking for ideas for what to do that's team building for their offsites. Mm-hmm. So bringing in an idea or a coach that you like paid for by the offsite is another way to kind of get your team training, or also approaching the HR group and saying like, "Hey, I heard this is really good and interesting. Would we ever do this?" Um, for high achieving employees or as -hmm. like an employee training. There's there's different budgets hidden that you can take advantage of if you're assertive. You know, maybe you can even do, you know, Salesforce training for the whole team or the top three people on the team and bake it into the software costs, right? Like if you're really pursuing education, sometimes the money will come out of the woodwork to support you on that.
0: It's almost like a 401k match, you know? I mean, you're leaving money on the table if you don't invest your time because the company is allowing those trainings to happen without you putting up the actual dollars. You just have to be committed to doing the work. Is there any other final thoughts you'd like to give to our audience about uh, upskilling? Uh, I think you used the words curiosity and voraciousness in the past. Is that the, the kind of qualities you'd like to uh, instill in, in the folks that are looking to improve their, uh, their skill set in demand generation?
1: I think the biggest challenge all of us face is the trade-off of our time, money, and effort. And when I'm looking here behind my computer, I have a list of actually three or four trainings I would like to take, some of which are expensive, more than $10,000. And I'm an individual now, so I pay for that myself. My company doesn't pay for it. So when I think about what trainings I would want to take, there's a real trade-off either of my family time, of my business time, of my money. And so I think you re- really need to keep focusing on what's the goal? Like, what do I want to achieve? what What's next for me? And what thing helps me get there most fastest, easiest? Right. Because there'll always be more to do than what you have the time and money to do. And, you know, reflect back to me. We shouldn't be- beat ourselves up for what we can't do. But you need to be really intentional about it because I think you can spend a bunch of time on something that may not matter as much to your, your next job or your career progression. So think carefully about your time. Your time is your absolute most valuable asset.
0: Well, thank you. With that, I, I do appreciate the time you spent with me, Carolou, to uh, cover this topic, which I know is uh, going to require a lot of folks to look at their balance in, in their life and, and make sure that upskilling is, is something that is intentional and continual. So thanks again for your time today.
1: Yeah, hard work gets paid off in the end. Hard work, voraciousness, and curiosity that people will know. So I'm I'm excited to see the results of the survey as well.
0: Well, thank you very much. We're going to look forward to putting that report out, and uh, we appreciate all your work today to let people know your perspective.
1: Thanks. Have a great day.
0: See you, Carrie Lou. Thanks again to our guest on today's show. If you want to learn more about the demand generation services of InsideUp, please visit our website at insideup.com. While you're there, take our upskilling survey and find out more about this special research program by clicking on the Upskill Journeys page of our website. See you next time.